Welcome to our podcast, Band BFS. The podcast where we make your music selection less complicated. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing Bazaar by Randall Standridge. Cheers to starting the conversation. All right, so this piece is marked as a grade one plus, and it is definitely emphasis on the plus. Uh, so while the it's in the key of concert E flat or C minor, 4-4 four, four throughout, it's only two minutes in length, but the, uh, two clarinet parts, two trumpet parts, uh, but there are lots of accidentals, stylistic considerations, percussion parts, lots of things that make this a, a little bit beefier grade one. For sure. Um, so at the very beginning, your low brass are gonna, and low reeds are going to start you off, and it's really important to set up your style now at the beginning of the piece because it's going to be copy-paste for the rest of the song. So make sure that it's short, short, long, long, short, short, long, long, short, short. And then when the clarinets enter at three, your low brass are going to come down in dynamic and your bells are going to take over with the cool uh, melodic part underneath. One of the great best ways I think to teach something like that is by teaching it on a concert F. Yep. Take the notes away and just have the band play that rhythm with the style markings on a concert F so you can unify that across the ensemble before you even worry about the notes. For sure. And looking at percussion, I know Laura already mentioned it, but oh my gosh, there is so much on this piece. And actually, they're really all pretty important. So it would be pretty difficult to say goodbye to a part um, just because they kind of all have an important um, little... I don't know, part at some point during the piece, which I'll point out. It has so much color and texture. For sure. Uh, the bongos are very important at the very beginning, and they make it sound like an, like a bizarre. Um, and then when the bells come in at three, that adds uh, a new little melodic part. Um, you can kind of go with the hard acrylic mallets that it says, or you can play around and see if you want something a little lighter. Kind of just depends on uh, the instrumentation of your band. Then you have the flutes coming in with the melody at pick up to five, so it's pretty important to have a good flute section. But if you don't, you could always have the alto saxophones play the cues there. Um, also, again, tapering in the, the clarinets playing softer at five underneath the flutes. So I always talk about how it should sound like people are going away um, every two measures so that we don't have to um, have the flutes play louder and louder and louder. Just make everybody else play underneath them. Your alto saxophones, when they do come in at nine, they can be on B flat on their instrument all the way until measure 42. So that's a good thing as you're going through your parts. Laura and I both believe in marking students' parts before we play them. Um, so we'll take a, a set of the parts and we'll go through them and study them, make sure that we've got accidentals written in if that's necessary, telling flutes what side of the flute to be on, uh, if there's any oboe pinky considerations or for clarinet. Um, that way we're doing as much work ahead of time as possible so when we're teaching it we already know that the kids have it marked on their part plus it also helps you just when you look at the students part individually separate from your score it gives you a way better idea of what the what the kids are dealing with and and how to how to approach it and how to teach it to them for sure 
Um, then we have uh, at measure eight, big moment for the French horn and the oboe. Um, but I always let horn lead here and oboe colors them. Uh, then when low brass enter at nine, uh, like trombone, euphonium, bassoon, they always like to come in really loud. And so they'll end up covering up the flute part. So I always ask them to make sure that they cross out the M and just make it be piano. At 11, the, the uh, layering in the trumpet, they get to come in pretty strong and crescendo up into 12. And then the whole band is going to decrescendo going into 13. There's also a finger symbol part, which a lot of times people like forget about it. So just make sure you bring that out because that does add to the cool colors and textures of the piece. Accidentals everywhere. So make sure that your students understand the accidental rule that they're carrying that through the measure if you have not pre-marked that in their parts for them. Um, and then where we have these double parts, like in clarinet, making sure one of the parts changes notes, one of them stays the same, making sure that we're bringing out the notes that change. Once we get to 13, we have kind of a new idea. Now you've got this three measures in a row of straight eighth notes in the flutes and the clarinet part. And that is um, for younger players, their tendency is gonna be for those to be very compressed, for mm -hmm. them to rush. So as I'm teaching it, I would teach it tongued. I would have them play it all tongued at the, at the very beginning and then add the slurs in as you get going just to ensure that their fingers are moving really evenly you may even consider for some of your players you may need to have them tongue it all the way up until you know just before or the even during the performance you know. it'll be covered up by the slur probably uh, yeah. so just just know that that's a teaching technique for that um I, it says here on the part it has crescendo written in i always have my students physically draw that in we ignore the text so if you don't mark that in their parts for them have them write that in so that we all see that um this horn line horn and alto and tenor line is the is the lead melody until trumpets come in when trumpets come in at measure 15 they're kind of leading the charge on the crescendo going into measure 17 now we've got this trill thing happening at 16 Katie and I both agree. We feel pretty strongly about trills. They are in effect. They're really cool. Well, Katie says she doesn't really I like. I don't. Just don't really love trills. I, but I, well, on I'm, this piece, actually, it is pretty fun. So. I, I'm not a flute player. I love trills. <laughs> but um, definitely when students play trills, uh, they don't always sound great when you put all of your kids on those trills. So I would audition that for one or two players to play the trill. Everybody else just hold the sustained note out. Find the best kid, the kids that can move their fingers the best and make the trill what it's intended to be which is an effect also yeah it should not cover up the saxon horn line because that's the important part leading up along with the timpani um leading up into 17 and with the flutes on that c above the staff right. like i mean it, yeah that's gonna be loud and sharp it is it's gonna yep. be really shrill um, we have China symbol and China symbol is such an important effect in this piece for sure so um, we we but the tendency for China symbol is to be way too loud right so make sure that it's like the, break drums yeah calm down a little bit yeah there's one volume yeah one volume and then timpani uh, leads into 18 and we're doing kind of the same forte piano effect that we had back from the trumpets at 15 so ask them to make sure that they get softer and then lead up and you can obviously see that in their stick heights um here at 19 we're going to continue making sure that we match style yeah so this is like um this idea this uh da 
da-da, da-da-da. This happens several times throughout the piece. This is one of those things um, we've talked about in one of our previous episodes, uh, melody studies or doing a melody sheet. This would be like take common themes, melodic themes that happen in a piece, write them out for everyone in the band, and that really helps you to teach it more efficiently, more effectively, and it gives people who may not have a part that moves around a lot an opportunity to play something kind of fun. That is a great way to approach this section to ensure that you get the style right um we even did it like when we play it we do it on our daily drill doing it on a remington exercise f f f f f f and then we'd go to e e e e e but doing the same style so just find different creative ways that you can really really incorporate um that style to drill it into the kids ears clarinets and altos are really important in this conversation along with the mallet percussion they get the cool one and two and three and four in the response to the rest of the band so making sure fingers are moving evenly we're getting all the right notes um uh all of that and digging into the low notes too. Da, 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 da. Yes, yes, yes. I always talk about leading more as you go down. Uh, gosh, you've just really got to know your percussion parts super well mm-hmm. on this piece too, because there's so much. It's all really cool effects. Like you've got a big timpani moment going into 23 here. Um, you know, just really don't forget to look at the bottom part of your score <laughs> as you're studying. Um, as we go into 27 and leading into 30, we have more accents here. You have a big trumpet too moment where they're changing pitches and you want to make sure the students that are moving on the quarter notes that they bring their notes out more than the half notes well and right here before measure 32 that measure of rest right right that is a measure that can kind of catch kids off guard that's a percussion solo a little percussion break there they lead into that 27 and 28 and then all of a sudden it's like this effect where you dramatic have, yeah, yeah and and kids will miss that so. yeah because they're like da 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 oh there should be another other note but there's not so they need to circle that rest and write silence or percussion or whatever timpani get to do that cool uh forte piano leading in again um and then at 30 we're kind of back to what we had at the beginning except now we're adding in um these little trill effects which are fun um like i said this is a piece i kind of like the trill but you get to trill and the start loud and get softer so a good way to teach this would be to play just the trill first without the dynamic to make Mm -hmm. sure that they're actually making it all the way to beat one of 33 because they pass it off. It's the high trill and then the medium trill with alto sax and tenor sax. So making sure that they go all the way to the next voice is important. Then you can add in the, the decrescendo as you go lower. And we have a lot of beat four pickups in this section. First, it starts with the trumpets. And I have had trumpets like miss this entrance a lot of times when I've played this piece. So I will train my trumpets to verbally count in their rests. One, two, three, four, one, two, ta, ta, ta. So that way they're coming in with confidence and not missing that pickup note and getting off with the melody since they're all alone on it. Um, and the I technique and the I know, yeah, yeah. They have to do a lot of different stuff at 36. So again, like Laura mentioned, taking the slurs out and just tonguing it 
to start is important um, just so that way they don't rush their fingers. Um, the shaker is very important here at 34. This is the rhythmic uh, part. This is the metronome. So make sure you have a really confident player on the shaker who can shake correctly and not get faster and faster. Um, low brass needs to come way out of the way here so the trumpets get to take the lead. Um, we have that trill effect come back in the flutes, but this time only with them and tenor sax. So that's kind of cool, and we want to make sure that they continue that on. But then horn, alto, and oboe get to bring out um, their little conversational part with the trumpets at 37. I will always have my trumpets draw in a breath mark at 37, so that way they can come in again confidently on the pickup note into 38 on the melody. And now flutes get to join them, so they need to make sure that they play really confidently. This time we have accents on one, two, three, four, so making sure we bring that out in the melody. And then again, 40 and 41 are real tricky uh, in the trumpet part, and there's split trumpet parts here. So making sure the kids all know like how high they're gonna jump up, mm -hmm. um, and and like I would do like one note at a time to make sure that aligns really well for them. And then we're off right on three in 41, so that low brass get to take over. So now low brass take the lead, and right there, this would be a place that even if your trombones are playing on trigger horns, I would have them do that C in sixth position. It makes more sense going from sixth to fifth, that C to D flat. I would have that marked in their part so that they do that. That's way easier technique than going from trigger one all the way out to fifth. They're going to be less likely to miss that D flat if they do that in sixth position. Totally. Um, then at 42, a couple of other instrument specific things. The flutes need to be prepared. They have been on the B flat thumb up to this point. They now need to, it needs to be marked in their part at 42 to, to shift to the natural side of the flute and and as Katie altos, mentioned earlier yep. the altos need to go to the regular B um, key here as well as they prepare for this little section at 42 so um, a little bit different idea but again low brass have the melody all of this stays in the same little range the technique for the low brass isn't terribly difficult because of where the notes lay but you just need to make sure that articulation is spot on for them and tuning is spot on and then again when we add in the upper woodwinds the flute and the oboe making sure that those flutes are on the natural side uh of the flute when we get to 46 um it's hold softer. on real quick sure. back at 44 <clears throat> also flutes tend to see that be natural and then they'll miss the a flat in 45 Weirdly yeah. enough, that happens every single yeah. time I play this piece. So make sure flute and oboe have the A flat marked. Um, same thing uh, down. Nope, just those two. And then 44 also is a great moment where low brass love to breathe there because they just did their one yeah, hard measure. Take a breath. Da, but they don't want to do that. Do not let them do that. They need to put a no breath there and an arrow because if they breathe there, then it's super awkward before the flutes and oboes have entered coming into 45. So make sure they draw a no breath there. Now go ahead on the piano. Right at 46, yeah. So now we've changed dynamics. This is going to be piano for the whole ensemble. Um, and percussion need to be real intentional about changing their dynamic level here mm -hmm. as well. All right, so piano. But it's piano. It's still bell tone. So there still needs to be intense air and a firm articulation at the start of those notes. But dropping our volume down. Now we have these eighth notes that are moving back and forth. 
Um, trumpets obviously have the lead on the melody, but then the woodwinds are, are echoing them on beat three. So just making sure that we're matching as best we can. Firm articulation in the low brass. And once again, this is another place where we have the word crescendo written out. I would physically draw the symbol in, but then I would have the kids save the bulk of the crescendo for the last two measures. Let's stay soft for a couple of measures. And then we like to use a number system. So then I would say in the third measure, this is measure 48, we would start crescendoing there. Now we're going to go from like a three to a four to a five. By the time we get to measure 49, now we're at a, a five and a six and a seven so that we land at 50. And now here we go. This is our big impact moment. And that cool uh, flute oboe trumpet scale coming upward. You want to make sure that that is the focal point leading into 49. So again, you don't want everybody to crescendo too much to cover that up. Then there is a crunchy note at 49 dissonance between uh, like the flute split and the trumpet one and two split. So make sure they lean into that. And you've got a horn trill and everything. So this is a cool so part. So fun for the horn. Yeah, it's really making it be super fun going into 50. And then just making sure, again, that we're matching style here. This is a lot like what we had before. Um, percussion, again, gets to have the conversation with the band. Um, then we have another little miniature percussion break. This part is super important. At 57, tambourine comes in all alone on this really neat tambourine part that we haven't had before, uh, adding to the cool effects of the bazaar. And I have had tambourines, uh, tambourine players before feel that they come in at 58 because that's where the band comes in. So I always make sure I cue my tambourine players and tell the kids tambourine and timpani and snare are going to lead us in and then we all come back in at 58. And, and then horns listen, get to be important here. Tambourine is as visual as it is aural. For so sure. make sure this is a this is like a cool tambourine thing. So yeah. a forte piano roll, shake roll. We need to like strike it and then get the tambourine down and shake roll as they're uh, they For should sure. raise the tambourine up as they're doing that. And every one of these rolls in this section, in my opinion, I would strike it. Every time when they are starting the role and when Finishing. they release the role. Every mm -hmm. time. Absolutely. Um, so then we've got, again, a real similar accompaniment here, but now horns. And tr trumpet has the main melody with clarinet, but horn gets this really cool counter melody. They need to play a little softer on the long note horn and sax, but saxophone's coloring the horn. And then they need to bring out the eighth notes. So it's a conversation again. So make sure that they bring that part out because that's super fun. They keep doing it over and over. Um, at 62, we want to make sure the half notes come down out of the way and don't overplay. 64, keeping those nice tenudos leading into 65, and we're day crescendoing. And that's hard for low brass players to do here because we have da, 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 da. So make sure that they're not like getting longer with their articulation just because they're day crescendoing. And then we're going to do the same buildup that we had before where we start piano um, and build it up and try not to let the, the um, forte pianos cover up all the moving parts throughout here. 71, another percussion break, big timpani moment at 71. Have written in on your kids' parts to look up at the end, so that way we can all enter together at 71 for that last little bit of style. 
Uh, yeah, and then this end, you want to make sure on the percussion part, everything needs to ring at the end. So the band and percussion do not end together. Da, 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 cha, cha, cha. In the percussion section, everything needs to ring. So that's an opportunity. We don't dampen the timpani. We don't dampen the china cymbal. We want to hear that cool effect of that china cymbal ringing at the end. This is such a cool piece. Kids I love, love this it because it sounds like a movie soundtrack. Yeah. And I just, I have played it a lot of times because I really think it's so much fun. So I hope that this has helped and that you will consider programming Bazaar in your next concert. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Band, Band BFS. BFS.